0: Hello, everybody! I am Anna Hudak, and this is All Who Wander, a monthly interview podcast where I interview you, the fan of science fiction and fantasy. If you are interested in being interviewed for this series, hit me up on social media. All my socials are right in the show notes or YouTube description or Rumble description, however you're watching or listening to this. And also, because I had done a very bad job at letting people know beforehand, um, in previous podcasts and articles. If you were interested, if you want to follow all my podcasts and you don't want to have to keep going to the Substack uh, blog article to listen to it, we are on whatever podcast app you enjoy under Red Culture Entertainment. Everything is under that, Red Culture Entertainment. I'll try to la- leave a link to uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or whatever so you all have, it, have an idea of what to look for. And final thing before we uh, talk to our guests here, um, we do have a Ko-Fi. Uh, you can commission a review on Ko-Fi. We are currently trying to help fundraise to get a new laptop to replace this dying computer if you want to help pitch in with that. Or we also have a store where if you don't want to pay for the um, a monthly subscription to get my exclusive articles, you can pay a one-time fee to get all of them. $1 per article. So... Uh, Check that out if you're interested. That's something I've not shilled much for, and I probably need to shill a bit more for. Anyway, let us actually dive into this month's uh, interview. So, we have an interesting guest, and uh, I think you'll see why pretty quick. So, guest, um, if you would like to let us all know who you are. Uh, My name is uh, James. I noticed that when we were messaging, uh, you said a few things that you were interested in. Outside of science fiction and fantasy, because we like to try to start with other things that are outside of it to kind of get to you know you know you better. Is that you do some writing and political organizing? Tell us a little bit about that. You know, uh, what kind of stuff do you write, and what do you do in you know what kind of political organizing do you do?
1: My writing is mostly uh, it's mostly fictional, although I do tend to try to put a little bit of realism to it. A lot of it is futuristic in and of itself, but not sci-fi, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, But currently I'm working on a book which is called The Strike. It is about, essentially it's about someone's journey through understanding kind of a a large-scale mass protest that ends up happening. And I don't got a lot of the uh, various kinks and details worked out because I'm still writing it. But Mm -hmm. hopefully we'll get those out soon. Nice. Uh, But I got a general outline for it. Um, Mm -hmm. I sometimes write articles. uh, Sometimes I write theory. Usually don't uh, end up getting them published, but I, I do a lot of writing. Mm-hmm. spare time when I can. Other than that, currently I am uh in the I do a lot of organizing, uh, a lot of mutual aid. I currently sit as um a chair member within the Communist Party. So I've I've been around the block when it comes to organizing locally, when it comes to organizing with other leaders, union leaders in the community and what as well.
0: Nice. Nice. And so you said that you write theory. What, what, what kind of theory? You know, is this like scientific theory? Is this like theories on what happened in history? Like, like, like explain that a little. What, what what kind of theory?
1: A lot of it's Marxist theory. Marxists uh, tend to look at uh, nature and human development, and history uh, through a very specific lens. Mm-hmm. So a lot of Marxist theory is about understanding those things through that lens. It's definitely a unique way of looking at things. It looks at things through class development. Um, it looks at things through uh, the distribution of wealth, private property, so on. The different stages of capitalism and how that has had a unique, a unique effect on people itself. Mm-hmm. A lot of it's taking things that are already known about or that people already theorize about or talk about from a social aspect and putting in the, in that lens something that we call dialectical materialism
0: nice, yeah, I am definitely still would cop- i would consider myself a bit more of a baby marxist, but um you know so i'm i don't expect me to be writing theory anytime soon, but I definitely have nothing but the most respect for those who uh understand enough to write their own so that's definitely pretty cool at least at least i at least i consider it cool thank you all right so let us dive into a bit more of the science fiction fantasy type stuff you say here okay let me bring up the actual quotes that might be helpful a bit so you talk about that you play a lot of video games what are some video games that you are that you play what are some of your favorites well when I say a lot, I would say I play
1: a lot of the same kind of games. Mm. Uh, I'm not very prolific when it comes to playing different games. I'm very involved in the lore of different games, so it has to have a strong, it has to have a, a strong plot that leads into kind of like a universe of speculation. Mm. Um, so a lot of the games I'm interested in are uh, I have Assassin's Creed. I have pretty much all those games, except for the first couple of them. Oh, wow. I have a couple of the Far Cry games. Those are pretty good. I play a lot of Fallout. Currently, I've been playing Fallout 76, so I've been on a kick with that. I uh, kind of rediscovered it after tended to get better after its release a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah, its uh, release was to put it lightly, a bit of a shit show, from what I remember. I didn't play yeah. it myself, but I saw the videos.
1: Yeah, so uh, a lot of it was uh, essentially, I think, as, as a lot of these companies tend to do nowadays, uh, originally, it was essentially a way to be like, hey, we're not ready for Fallout 5, so here is <clears throat> this online version of Fallout that you can play. Mm-hmm. And like a lot of those games you have a launch but then you have to work out all the kinks you have to wait until these companies get different complaints about what yeah um, but so so its release wasn't a lot to be desired i think i played uh a decent amount probably up until i know i completed like the main quest line Mm-hmm. but other than that i didn't really put much more effort into it um yeah. And then I think after about a year, I started playing it again, and it was a little bit better. I it, de- it had NPCs in it, for instance, which mm-hmm. it didn't have,
0: um, yeah, on its launch. Todd Howard uh, famously saying that there weren't going to be any non-playable characters in there.
1: Yeah, it will, and the I mean the reason why they did that is because everybody was just so frustrated with the ones that they did in Fallout Four that everybody said that they didn't care if they had them in the next game so they were just like well we're not gonna put them in the next game and that was just a mistake because I think what I think what really people wanted is they wanted NPCs that had character depth Mm -hmm. rather than just giving you quest lines and rewards yeah like uh, kind of like in a lot of the older Fallout games Mm -hmm. uh, NPCs played a lot more of a pivotal role speaking to one could you know Depending on how you you conversate with one, could change dialogue for whole different parts of the game. Um, but a lot of people correctly interpreted Fallout 4's uh, kind of dialogue as pretty lazy, <laughs> um, which caused them to say, "Well, we're just not going to do that in this uh, in this online game." And then they realized how much of a mistake that was. So then they uh, they. I would assume they probably got a decent development crew and had people start making stories and now what they're doing is they have these these different seasons that they call them Mm -hmm. uh and after different i think it's like every month or every two months or something like that they have these seasons and there's different like storylines and quests that comes with them and there's different events that you can partake in but they all give you like different prizes, but they're all like different storylines and stuff like that. Like there was there was one where you interacted with like aliens and stuff like that. Um, this most recent one, you go into Pittsburgh, mm. uh, which is called the Pit, <laughs> and you have to battle this faction of raiders that's like all united uh-huh. and is trying to take out this other faction called of called the Union. Mm. Um, so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of good references in there, especially if you are on the left end of the spectrum. Oh. Um, Fallout seventy six takes place in Appalachia, okay. uh, which also has a huge uh, working class history. Mm-hmm. You can traverse Blair, which is where the Battle of
0: Blair Mountain happens. Can can Um, you tell the audience what the the Battle of Blair Mountain is? Because I'm pretty sure a lot of people probably never even heard of it.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, that that would be a fair assessment. So the Battle of Blair Mountain, I believe it happened in 1921. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be a little bit of background here. um, But essentially, uh, West Virginia is very ubiquitous for its coal mining. So coal mining obviously a very dangerous profession, obviously uh not something that you can take lightly many many of the immigrants, for instance, that came to the United States were often just shipped to these mines to die uh, yeah uh the 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 casualty rate was um was very high um of course there wasn't a lot of worker protections uh back in the day one of the main struggles in West Virginia at the time was that a lot of these coal miners were trying to unionize. And today, there's a decent sized union movement that is going on. Back in the day, you're talking about establishing these unions whole cloth. And it was back in the day where a lot of these companies that didn't want these unions were very open to be militant about enforcing their no union policies. So they would hire paid company men who would come in and terrorize the workers, kick them out of their homes, which was also owned by the companies. There was, can't remember exactly which company it was, but there was one uh, very large one at the time and essentially owned uh, all of their houses, uh, it owned all their plots of land. So if they were caught or accused of trying to start a union, they would be kicked out of their houses. A lot of them had to live on tents on the mountainside in the middle of winter, trying to feed their families while still going to the mines. They, oh, they were paid with company script, which means that it was only redeemable in company stores. So they didn't pay you actual money. So essentially uh, what the company did, what these mining companies did, is they owned uh, these people and owned their entire lives. They were little more... Uh, Than slaves. And because of all the union busting that was happening, there was a town in the south end of the state called. Oh,
0: Matewan, is it?
1: Matewan, yep. Yeah. But yeah, there's actually a movie about it. I think it was made in the 1980s, but it has James Earl Jones in it and a couple of other pretty high profile actors. And it's it's pretty crazy cuz the only place that i can find it was I it
0: Storming to. Heaven? Oh no that's a that's a novel never mind. No, it's it's Matewan. Is Mate the movie Natewan?
1: Yes, it's called Matewan.
0: Yeah, James Earl Jones, Chris Cooper, Mary McDonnell, mm-hmm. Will Oldham. Yes,
1: yeah, very excellent movie. I definitely recommend anybody who is listening to watch. It.
0: I'll try to remember to put that in the show notes so people know about it. All Essentially, right. there was this uh, breakout fight
1: against the workers that were residing in the town, as well as the local sheriff there, whose name was Sid Hatfield, who, you know, your history or you recognize your history. You recognize that name from the uh, Hatfield and McCoys. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a cousin, I believe, of the original Hatfield and McCoys, which it's a little bit of interesting. But also, he was the sheriff of this town. Um, who helped defend the workers against, uh, the, the, uh, company thugs who ended up having a firefight with them. So if there was one cop in history, I guess, who, (laughs) uh, was, was pretty okay. I guess it was Sid Hatfield. Yep. The one good cop. The one good cop. The one good cop who met a brutal and bloody end for defending the workers. He was put on trial for his role in this firefight, and he was brought up into the north end of the state, which was company-friendly and uh, pretty anti-union. And as he and his wife were walking up the steps to the county courthouse, they were shot by, I think, 20 or 30 rounds. Well, Sid Hatfield was shot. His wife was standing there next to him. They didn't shoot her. Yeah, yeah. but the they got away with it and the response to his brutal murder ended up uniting a bunch of coal miners who then they essentially marched down south. They were met with different scuffles of union thugs as they went further down south. The tale is that they would put red handkerchiefs on their necks and tie them together as a symbol of unity. It's where that's one of the stories, at least, of where we get the term redneck. Oh. So as they were traveling down or marching down south in West Virginia, they had minor altercations and scuffles. Eventually, it got to the point where the National Guard uh, was involved, and the National Guard, the United States government, in conjunction with these companies, uh, essentially had a, a firefight, a small-scale war on the Battle of Blair Mountain. Over two million bullets were spent in the scuffle and it was the first time that the United States dropped bombs airily. Ever.
0: Wow. Now that I did so, not know.
1: Yeah. So there's there's a lot of history there, which a lot of people just a lot of people don't know about. I am not an expert on the Battle of Blair Mountain, so I definitely encourage anybody to look more up about it, but the story only gets crazier.
0: Yeah, not that, that that that's a very good summary. Uh, just, you know, a quick little summary. Uh, much better than I could have done it, to be honest. Um anyway, so you're talking about Appalachia and Fallout yes. 76 yes. and so um uh, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the
1: background information that you get about the area and the things that were happening because what's unique about Fallout 76 compared to the other Fallouts is that it takes place about 25 years after the bombs drop and uh, I guess for those who are unfamiliar with like Fallout lore history it kind of has a skewed alternate timeline to ours that's essentially the same and uh, what happens is the world gets ravaged in a essentially nuclear fallout mm. um in the year 2077 so this takes place roughly 25 years after after that which is a little bit different from the like 200 year like span that we're used to oh wow with that there's a lot of background information that you can find about stuff that was going on like when the bombs dropped what was happening in different parts of the area when the bomb drops and it turns out as a good reflection of the history in this in this region there was a lot of working class struggles they were slightly different in the fact that for instance one one story that you come across is a story about this mining company who is trying to out compete this other mining company that is using all robots Oh. And they're still choosing to use people, so they developed this form of power armor called Excavator Power Armor. Hmm. And that's one of the uh, quest lines that you can complete so that you can get this, like, suit of power armor, which is really useful in-game. Nice. Um, but the background story behind it is this this basic contest that is going on between these two mining companies trying to figure out the fate of these workers who are going to be displaced if all these companies take in robots mm. uh, for their mining jobs. So there's a lot of references to it. Fallout Universe, when the bombs drop, takes place during a ongoing war with Communist China, which is very comically exaggerated at most points. Um, <clears throat> it's very clear that a lot of the the depiction of what was going on pre-war is is a very satirical version of of the United States but this war that was happening so you have you have signs in game where these workers were protesting in the Appalachia and the, and the signs say i ain't no commie <laughs> but they sound but they're making a lot of sense to me like yeah but it's It's very, I think it's very appropriate for this area in particular. Mm -hmm. Um, I think you see a lot of references to kind of what what I would call the depravity of like American capitalism. When you really get into Fallout lore, you start to realize some of the crazy stuff that was happening in the United States before the war. Like there was like mass protests, people were charging factories for food and stuff like that. Like it was like literally desperate in the United States at the time. And all, all the, all the money was going towards defense. All these different regular businesses were also had like top secret projects for the military that they were involved with, you know? So like it, it, it doesn't paint a great picture of the United States. And then the, overdone comically overthreatening fear from the United States of, of communism it was just so like perfectly like done that it can only really be taken as much as a joke
0: mhm well thankfully um, america is not at all like that today um, we we lo- you know uh, we don't spend all of our money on defense at all that's that's not true at all who are we kidding we we all know <laughs> We, we we all know um, what's going on. Uh, I, I still find it genuinely hilarious, though, that our fear of communism in this country is so great that it's a legitimate part of public discourse that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are communists. You know, and yeah, that- it's it's um it's a strange world to live in
1: because I, I mean, I've I've mentioned. I'm a communist. I specifically of of the Marxist Leninist variety. I uh, I find it very disconcerting <laughs> that I have to explain to people that no, these people are not communists because I'm one. Mm-hmm. And I don't like them. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and it's uh, so it's 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 there's definitely a sense of irony every time I have to talk about it. Yes. Because Kind of, no matter. Uh, it's 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 why I tell people that like there is there's a movement happening where people are being becoming more comfortable with describing themselves as socialist or communist, and I think that's that's probably the only way that we're going to do it because right now nobody knows what that is.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, we do uh, know what it is. It's Bernie Sanders and AOC, of course.
1: Yeah, AOC, <laughs> who just voted down the uh, rail ray. Strike or the potential <laughs> railway strike that was going to happen.
0: You and just hate women for mentioning that. You you just hate women.
1: <laughs> yeah. What I, what I find very interesting though is that not only did she vote yes, but she got a whopping like seventeen thousand from the railway. Which I'm sure that's unrelated. Isn't a, is isn't even a lot, but it's more than any other congressperson has gotten from them.
0: Look, I'm just So like. I'm sorry, continue. (laughs) Yeah. No, you know, like, I've not been... Like, I don't want to get too much into real-world politics. I mean, outside, if you know... Like, I don't want to go fully off on that, the rat trail But yeah, I will say this, you know. um, Look, like, I I never believed that AOC was a socialist or anything, but it's definitely been disappointing to see just how far in the tank she's been willing to go for capital in this country I think
1: I think the most thing that's uh disappointing about it is that it's definitely something that you can guess that was gonna happen like most most inner circles between leftist circles a lot of them have been criticizing AOC from the very beginning and they have said quite blatantly she's gonna turn she's gonna turn and
0: even though you know that it's likely going to happen
1: it's still disappointing
0: Mm mm-hmm just like how we all kind of saw this fascist movement in America rise up that the conservatives were going to turn their eyes on going after queer people again after they realized that the immigrant thing wasn't going to last forever and for turning their eyes onto the disabled people and you were going to start seeing all these companies start really going after workers now that they realize that they have some power after COVID and you're still disappointed after seeing all of this despite knowing this is all going to happen.
1: Yeah, it, it's it's a like living through history moment, right? Mm-hmm. Where you see something and you you can watch it happen. Yep. Um I think as Marxists, even even a lot of leftists who are kind of in the beginning stages of looking into this kind of stuff,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um a lot of them have the same sense of feeling that um there is no real going back. Mm-hmm. Um we have to kind of fight for a world that we need right now. Yep. And that's going to, it's it's going to require organizing with people. It's going to require at least a modicum of unity, especially between leftists who I know share a lot of differing ideas. No. Uh, but it's, you know, yeah. <laughs> who would have thought? But I, I, I think it's definitely important that we start to organize uh, with each other and allow each other to have the space that we need to while pushing forward.
0: So what you're saying is that you gotta get off the couch, maybe go outside and meet some people and, not and put aside petty people. grievances? I don't know, man. This it, it seems, it, it seems like a bit too much.
1: Join an org, read some theory. Best way to do it is to do it with other people. Point blank. If I struggled with reading theory... Uh, for a while until I started doing it with other people that's the best way to do it I think I think I think we've all been there yeah they uh, they don't make it easy to read either uh, <laughs> time. so it's um it's 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 definitely a challenge and but that is that is my advice if you want to stop all this requires getting organized
0: I you know I think that's a pretty solid advice but I think we Pro, we've been we've been recording for about a little over half an hour now. So for now, so I think we should probably get moving along to what what the main thing that you messaged me over, and that's Star Wars. So, yeah. can you before we even get into what you messaged me about Star Wars, can you remember your first experiences with it? Like w- what you thought of it at the time, what you saw, and so like... you know.
1: My uh, journey as a Star Wars fan has been a little bit different than a lot of people that I have talked to and that I know. Um, oh. I've always kind of liked Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, but I was never really like into it. Okay. I watched, I think, one of the original trilogy movies, and then I happened to watch Phantom Menace uh, a long time ago.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then... I decided that I was going to go with a couple of friends to go see Revenge of the Sith in theaters. And so that was essentially like most of what I had like watched like through Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think later when Force Awakens came out, I think I saw that in theaters mm-hmm. too. But other than that, like it was more of like a passing <laughs> interest. Like if it was on, I might like turn it on for background.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, that's for- kind of where I am. <laughs>
1: up until about six months ago so oh i when i first moved into the apartment that i live in now i originally i purchased an xbox and the xbox came with a game star wars game called jedi fallen order mm-hmm. um and
0: i i've played that game yes i recommend it to anybody who can play it it's great I'm gonna say played it. I mean, I played the first few levels, got stuck, and then rage quit. Fair. Yeah, I, uh, I, I had to
1: go into it a couple of times before I was like, "All right, I think I got it." But I ended up completing the game. Thought it was really well done. It's not too huge of a game, so mm-hmm. it's easy to go back and collect all the stuff that I wanted to collect. And thought it was a really well done game. And mm-hmm. then about six months ago ish the uh trailer for the sequel game that they're coming out with for that came out
0: yeah the one that we're doing a new trailer for on the 8th well by the time you see you're listening to this episode it'll be out
1: Yeah, they uh, they dropped the original trailer for it. And of course, there's a whole bunch of Easter eggs. There's a whole bunch of stuff that people like noticed, saw a lot of people are theorizing that the opening scene of that trailer where you see the uh, spaceship Mm -hmm. that you're in um, touching down on this planet. A lot of people say it looks like Tatooine. So that Mm. could open up a whole lot of interesting stuff since obi-wan kenobi is it would be would have been stationed there at the time mm-hmm. um it's supposed to take place about five years after the original game mm-hmm. which means that the the timeline for the sequel game which is called uh survival yeah or survival or survivor i'm sorry so the sequel game is going to take place roughly around the same time as the obi-wan kenobi
0: series Nice. So, so we're tying it all together.
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting because before Disney's purchase of Luke's films in Star Wars, essentially what it was, I don't know if you know like, kind of what the tier system was for what was considered canon. No. Essentially it, it was very multi-leveled. Things got switched around all the time with every new movie and book or whatever because... Mm. Like the first tier was anything George Lucas said was canon, anything that was in the movies uh was canon. Um, so basically it's was just like another Yeah, there was so it was a big mess. Consistent. Yeah. After Disney's acquisition of the Star Wars franchise in I'm pretty sure twenty fourteen.
0: Yeah, if it sounds uh, about right.
1: Yeah, after that after that acquisition, uh essentially what they did is they said, Okay, everything that is produced from now on is going to be canon mm-hmm. that way they could kind of like look back on different stuff like within uh, like books and legend content and they could possibly bring it back into official stuff depending on how well it fits but now they have essentially what is like a team of people who are making sure that everything fits well in with canon for every new book that's written for every new game that's produced for every new movie that comes out for every show that happens
0: that's stuff that I so- love
1: Yeah, I don't know who the panel is. I would assume people like Dave Filoni are on Mm -hmm. it, who is a big creator for Star Wars. Yeah.
0: He does a lot of writing and other stuff like that. I envy franchises with big lore teams like that. Mm Mm-hmm. I would would say he's probably
1: essentially second only to George Lucas Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to, like, Star Wars stuff. Don't quote me on that if anybody gets angry in the Star Wars franchise. I don't...
0: (laughs) But you're not, yeah. you're not, you're You're not, like, a total expert. D- Dave Filoni better not come for me, is all <laughs> I'm saying. You hear about
1: Dave Filoni? Um, it's not me, him. Maybe he can, maybe I can convince him to, like, play a part in a show or well, something. Like
0: hey, that. there you go, there you go. Maybe slice into your DMs. Yeah.
1: But yeah, so I got, I got really, um... I got really interested in Star Wars pretty much from that point on because I was like, "Well, I gotta know all this stuff, right?" Mm-hmm. Like, so I replayed the game. I paid a lot of attention to the specific lore within the game, yeah, which takes place about five years after the Purge.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: so it's this, essentially, this Jedi or in training this Padawan who escaped uh, the Purge. Yeah, ended up on my oh God. The b- name of the planet is skipping me right now, but he ended yeah, up I don't this know either. Planet, and uh, he. Uh, Ends up getting tasked with going and finding this holocron uh, full of the names of like four sensitive children around the galaxy to try to start the Jedi Order, mm-hmm. and um, it's 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 a pretty good storyline. It's a good it's a good game to play, and I just replayed it probably a couple of times, and then really focused on like the story aspect of it, and then from there I just got more into stuff. So then I started rewatching all the movies. Then I rewatched all the movies, and I was like, "Well, I guess I gotta watch Clone Wars now." And then I watched Clone Wars, and I was like, "Well, I guess I gotta watch Rebels now." So I watched Rebels. So, wow, you really Gosh. went all in. Yeah, I, I got caught up on pretty much everything, and Andor just finished. So, I was about to about ask about Andor. Of it, Andor is amazing. Um, I know, I know a lot of people who have been saying recently uh, that Andor is very refreshing as a star wars story because there's not a lot of like there's not a lot of like fanciful like there's no lightsabers yes. there's no jedi there's mm-hmm. no like nothing like that it's a, a story of a rebellion it's the story of like a specific person within this rebellion who's going to be pivotal within it yes and have you seen any of it
0: yes i i actually watched it as it was coming out with my parents um, saw it every week Loved it. It is easily my favorite thing of Star Wars. Now, to be fair, I'm not a Um, huge Star Wars fan, but it is fantastic. Oh, Um, oh, so beautiful. Very well done. I think... uh, I expected uh, the Empire to shut down that hologram long before they did. Yes. uh, That was... um
1: that that whole hologram like scene was perfect too yes um i think one of my favorite quotes in there was is when she says uh the empire thrives in darkness mm-hmm. is never more powerful than when we sleep and it's just yes it's it's very appropriate i think all around mm-hmm. so so i think it was they did a very good job on andor and i know a lot of people who are uniquely excited about andor as a series. Yeah. I think we haven't really seen a lot of the backstory behind what made the rebellion the rebellion, mm-hmm. and except like within like rebels, but that really kind of followed like, you know, the like more traditional route. Of, yeah, and versus this, which is this is kind of
0: the more realistic side. Yeah, boots on the ground. Yes, you would say the people um, who really maybe. had a lot to lose, who really had to get dirty, and couldn't well, just. Didn't yeah didn't have like powers to save him
1: i think people appreciate it because it really shows that there can be good people who sometimes resort to bad things to do good things yeah i think it's i think it's a real i think it's more of a realist version of how fights are won Mm -hmm. and not necessarily versus what is good or bad
0: yes you know i actually just recently wrote an article on it and and I and I made a uh, point out of out of ads in the final paragraph, really talking about just how like revolutions are messy. These are not going to be fa- for, for often distasteful. There's going to be things that people have serious objections to, like in the scene when they're on Aldani and for pulling off the heist and for threatening the officials' families. Like, yeah, that's um that that that's stuff you've seen in actual revolutions already.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah
0: and I think uh, showing
1: because you see a little bit of for anybody who doesn't know you see a little bit of Cassian Andor in Rogue One mm-hmm. which is I'm pretty sure the first movie that Disney produced
0: uh, um, they, they, that was the first non Skywalker film they produced yeah for that's fair but it was so Rogue
1: One is a story about how essentially they get the plans for the Death Star and mm-hmm. he plays a pretty pivotal role at the end of that and that's pretty much what, the like, the last you see of him until the series comes out, which gets more in-depth with him as a character. And when people first heard about it, I know that there was a lot of, I would say, assuming uh, of what it was going to be, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think a lot of people quite got it right. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think a lot of people assumed that it was just faceless, you know, corporate... Let's take this character who died in this, you know, one show, and you know, let's uh, let's make a whole background story about him. Yes, but I think somebody on that writing team is
0: a Marxist.
1: <laughs> like I, I uh, oh,
0: I, I'd be stunned if we're not that, or they. Ha- I have a lot better understanding than you would expect.
1: <laughs> yeah, like. W- when I watch, when I watch Andor, I think I like start thinking of like back to like reading Lenin, mm-hmm. like stuff like what is to be done, like place special attention to, you know, what do you do to organize people? What are mm-hmm. people motivated by? Yep. You know, what are, what are the contradictions that people are facing mm-hmm. that motivate them to actually de- defend themselves and others? Yep. So I think it I think it brings up a lot of those questions. Mm-hmm. I think one of the biggest faults of Star Wars really is it's there's not really like a big secret that for instance uh the the original uh Rebel Alliance as it was made back in during the original movies. It's not really a secret that George Lucas modeled them after the Viet Cong which really only it kind of points to a similarity between the Empire and the United
0: States. Don't let Jeremy from Decordery know this. I'm sorry to continue. Yeah,
1: there was a lot of, there was a very distinct, you know, like, hey like, look at this, like, rebel like, alliance. Like, this is a kind of guerrilla style like, you know, resistance movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say one of the biggest faults of the Star Wars franchise and. I'm hoping they even explore this a little bit more in the next season of Andor. But one of the biggest faults that they have is that there really is no, I guess, ideology behind the Resistance, except to be anti-Empire. Yes. But while they touch on things like oppression and stuff like that, they don't really explain the ins and outs of what is being oppressed, who is being oppressed, and for why. Yes. And... I I think that is that is eventually going to be something that is needed to mm-hmm. continue on with the Star Wars series because now that we've kind of wrapped up like the Skywalker saga, right? Yes. Um there's going to need to be other cohesive things that really bring the story together and I th- I think one of those is going to be in a real introspection into the ideologies of what is the ideology of the empire we see that a little bit a, a lot more evident when it comes to what the empire is doing because the empire is very obvious about it like right but for instance in andor you have how what was that character's name deidre he or no, cyril he the, no he was the one who um made the uh manifesto
0: oh Nemek.
1: yeah Nemek. <laughs> Nemec did, you, you, you had Nemec's Manifesto, which was, was pretty close to when you, when you hear the readback on it from mm-hmm. uh, the, the final episode. It's, it's, it's pretty close in terms of, of kind of what you're looking for for an ideology, but it still kind of ignores, you know, basic points. Again, it talks a lot about being oppressed, but it doesn't talk about why it's oppressive or where it comes from.
0: What are the yes. motivations
1: behind the Empire versus what are the motivations behind the people behind the Rebel Alliance? Because freedom is such an a vague, archaic way of describing anything, especially when you're looking at a whole galaxy full of different people and different cultures. Yes.
0: You know, and I think but we're you know, not to get uh too current day policies with it, but I mean you're kind of seeing that debate right now, you know, with people, what is freedom? You know, like, quote, what does quote-unquote freedom of speech mean? Because it is such a nebulous concept. That was definitely one of my problems um, with showing show, and I'm actually kind of working on a um, more of a long-term project on uh, my blog about um, science fiction and fascism. And one of my big things I'm definitely gonna try to make a big point out of is how a lot of these science fiction books and movies and T V shows and video games and all that stuff, they talk a lot about freedom, but what freedom from what? You know, like where does this oppression come from that for fighting that they claim to be against and what freedom are they really fighting for? It's never something explained, and something that I feel like science fiction needs as a genre really needs to get a lot better about. Yeah, and I
1: think I think a lot of that is is largely a reflection of how society is outside of these science fiction settings. I think most people only have the vaguest concept of what freedom is, and a lot of them don't care to define it further. Yep there is you know and there's there's all sorts of like kind of freedoms like what are we talking are we talking about freedom from oppression are we talking about like free market ideology because those are definitely two different types of freedoms yep. that do the opposite things for opposite people so a lot of what people's concept of freedom is is like this vague notion of you can do what you want
0: mm-hmm. um, the libertarian really- definition yeah, it's it's freedom to, not freedom from, yes. or
1: freedom for, mm-hmm. which is quite different of of a, I guess, like even even a moralistic standpoint. Yes, uh, sometimes, so it's freedom is a nebulous concept for most people, and a lot of what I find fascinating, for instance, especially about things like Star Wars, is the propensity for conservatives, especially, to um, be surprised. When they see something that doesn't match their political ideology mm-hmm. and then claiming that it got political, <laughs> which is incredibly egregious to me because Star Wars has always been political. Yes. There's not a single point in its history where it hasn't been distinctly political, even more so when they came out with the prequel series and then Clone Wars. Yes. If you've watched Clone Wars, half of Clone Wars is about trade disputes, banking disputes how different people are affected uh, economically Mm -hmm. in different places of the galaxy. Like literally half the series is about uh, these different stories inside, you know, stories about the main characters. Yeah. And so like to, to say that star Wars has never been political and only claim that it's political when you can see clear, I guess, analogies to the present day is just, very, I I find it very small-minded. You yes, know, even even you, I mean you'll see the same thing with all sorts. Even crazily enough, people po- people will say that Star Trek was never. political. Oh my
0: gosh, though, it's raising so yeah. crazy! Like g- g- like the actual actor of Kirk, William Shatner, thinks that the original series was not political, and it's just like, dude, you were acting it. You were the star. How do you not see this? <laughs> I I mean,
1: the man must have had, like, conversations with Gene Roddenberry.
0: Well, he claims he did.
1: Yeah, I mean, Gene Roddenberry was very open about the fact that the Federation is communist.
0: Like, he wasn't, like,
1: making any, like, Like, you know.
0: Majel Barrett herself said that Gene Roddenberry was a Maoist.
1: Which is a crazy
0: concept for me. You know, and so it's just, like, the guy was all about, like using it as, like, a, you know, a very thinly shielded conversion tool for communists. So like, it was very thinly shielded.
1: Yeah. There is, uh, there's a scenes where people, like, quote Marx, and it's, like, fantastic. Yeah, Deep Space Nine especially. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, like, people, people have this, like, weird sense of, oh, because I wasn't capable of interpreting these things back then means that they didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, the, it's always existed. All these things that we've talked about have always had political bents to them. Yes. Whether it's whether it's Star Wars or whether it's Fallout. Yes. They've all had political ties to them that deepen around their world because if you wanna make something realistic in any form of fiction, you have to have some sort of like political understanding of mm-hmm. how these things work and you know otherwise it's just fantasy
0: next you'll be telling me that franchises such as the witcher and bioshock are political and i just can't have that no no not at all thank god the witcher has nothing to do with um uh with politics i can just continue to enjoy henry cavill um, looking hot and that being it
1: that I love that video games are just a great microcosm of everything that is wrong with capitalism, <laughs> um, because you can just see it pretty clearly. Yeah, the the transition from how games are developed, the speed at which they're produced, mm-hmm. the amount of detail that goes into them, the yeah. amount of reliance on CGI that they have now—like it's yep. it's you can you can see every reason that capitalism is bad within the small like gaming world yes that is it, it, yes it's, it's pretty crazy
0: yeah you know and I, I are are you aware of stephanie sterling no i'm not okay so stephanie sterling is okay if you want to look her up, uh look them up sorry um on youtube you'll have to look under her dead name um jim sterling but for a non-binary creator who kind of hesitant to say for a mar- for a communist or socialist but for at least you know adjacent kind of um, to communism, socialism, like for, for 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 at least open to it. Uh, they they don't like capitalism, but I don't know if they're necessarily Marxist. But um, they you know like they spend like over YouTube videos and for podcasts, uh, especially the gymquisition or the Podquisition, which are their main podcasts and video series. Hey, Is okay. there much? I didn't. I did not know that they transitioned. Yes, Although I know.
1: I know who you are talking about.
0: OK, I, I'm sorry. I, 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 I should have said the first name first, uh, because that's no what most problem. people recognize. Uh, but yeah, you know, and they spend almost all of our videos in devo- podcasts are devoted to showing how the video game industry is the perfect representation of capitalism as a whole. Uh, you know, like how capitalism is best can best be understood looking through uh the games industry. Yeah, 100%. And so that, that, so if if anyone is out there interested in kind of understanding what like what um james or i are talking about that's a great place to start i'll try to leave links in the show notes but uh, they, they they do a brilliant job at breaking it down like to the point it's actually kind of depressing and i actually sometimes have to go months on end without listening to them because it's just like i can't enjoy any games anymore anyway before we kind of get start winding things down was there any more points on star wars you wanted to bring up before we wind us down
1: the only other point that i really wanted to make is one of one of the things that is kind of a almost a hidden gem especially if you're you're a marxist or a leftist of any sort that has always caught my interest that's not really in the i guess conversation when it comes to what star wars is politically and that's the role of the jedi Mm. um I think what's uh, interesting for my last point that I guess I'll make, Mm -hmm. I think it's interesting that the rise and fall in history of the Jedi is very indicative of the role that liberals tend to play within society. And that is their typical role of kind of accepting or at least being blind to the growth of fascism right in front of you. Hmm. The the ultimate fall of the Jedi was not the fact that necessarily somebody betrayed them all or they got caught up. It's that they were too unwilling to look past their own comfort mm-hmm. and their own rules. Yep. To adequately deal with the problems that came about. Yep. R- their role from being peacekeepers. Which is already a debatable topic. (laughs) um, to straight straight-up generals in an ongoing galactic war. Yep. You know, caused massive distrust in them. And whatever the nefarious actions were of the Sith, they could have only been done through the public turn of opinion. Yep. And that could have only been done through the downfall of the inadequacy of the Jedi to actually reassess and reexamine themselves.
0: Yeah, quite definitely. I think that is a pretty aware um, understanding of that entire, especially the prequels. There. All right. Well, I think we both have things that we've got to get do doing. Um, I I know I got to start preparing dinner soon here, and I know you got your own things. So we're gonna wind us down now. And so, before we go, I try to I'm going to try to remember to ask um, every guest what is something, preferably science fiction or fantasy. Uh, doesn't have to be, but just preferably that, um, or at least adjacent to it. Um, what is something that not enough people know about? Whether it's a book, movie, YouTube channel, something that more people should know about.
1: Yeah. So I have watched a lot of this YouTuber. Uh, they go by Renegade Cut. If you haven't seen their YouTube, they do a lot of, kind of a lot of what we talked about here today, uh, really kind of looking into the different aspects of filmmaking, of film critique. They do a lot of critiques of films themselves. They also do a lot of talking about political stuff as well. So it's a, it's a very hybrid channel. I think it's a very unique channel in the way that they they do this and they narrate it. It's very well done, I would definitely recommend it to anybody.
0: Nice. I will definitely um have to leave a a note in the show a link in the show notes so uh, everyone can check that out and before we go, of course, we'll have any links that you bring up in the show notes. but is there anything that you would like people to know about like any way to connect with you um any social media accounts, blogs, whatever?
1: Yeah, I have a Twitter handle. it's tired Marxist. You can pretty much find me through through most social media platforms through that tag.
0: Nice, nice, nice. Well, um, I think that's really everything we're going to have for today. I want to thank you all for listening. And once again, if you are interested in getting interviewed as a part of this series, just go ahead and find me on social media anywhere. Drop me a message. And yeah, if you enjoy, also enjoyed what you hear, share with, with, you know, your family, friends. I would love to have you subscribe on Substack, whether it's a free or preferably paid subscription. You'll get plenty of extra articles if you do pay for a Substack subscription. And you'll get public articles and podcasts a day early. And we're also working on some videos, which you'll get a full week early if you get a paid subscription Uh, Which, as of right now, we are doing a sale on annual subscriptions, 40% off. You get them for $30. And, yeah, that is everything today. Thank you all for listening, and have a great day. Peace.